So I invite you to take uh, your Bibles and turn to the first chapter of the Bible, uh, Genesis chapter 1. And uh, this time I will read the whole chapter, and uh, beginning of verse 1. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning God created... Oops, let me just switch myself on. In the beginning uh, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separate the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called that expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so, and God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruits trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and so separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast on the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given you every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that everything, and saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and I, uh, uh, we thank you for this passage, and we pray again that you would uh, help our meditations on your words, that they would be pleasing in your sight, and that my words uh, uh, would also be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, last week we uh, looked at the opening verse of the Bible. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And uh, today we've read the whole chapter uh, and into the first three verses of chapter 2. And uh, But I want to look at this chapter in three steps, not today, but uh, over the next three weeks. And uh, today I want to look at God creating the heavens and the earth. Uh, next week I'll focus on the God's creation of man, Adam and Eve. And uh, then the week after that I want to look at the question of the establishment of the Sabbath day. Uh, so three uh, three sections we're going to look at over the next uh, the next. Uh, few weeks and uh, uh, that's the plan so Lord willing we'll we'll stick to that but today I want to just look at these uh, six days of creation and uh, as we come to this section um, one of the things that we need to remember about this section is that this uh, section is a section of scripture and it comes to us uh, as divine revelation that these are the words uh, that come from God, and they come, therefore, with God's authority. And certainly in the New Testament, uh, these words were received as such. Uh, if you check through the words of, of Jesus, or you look through the, the words of the apostles, uh, you'll find there are many quotations uh, and many allusions just to the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. In fact, somebody I came across this week had uh, found 60 different references or allusions to these 11 chapters. And, uh, and when you look at the, uh, the New Testament, uh, you see that Jesus doesn't treat these, uh, uh, these verses, these chapters as allegories or parables or religious myths, but they are treated as factual and authoritative. And so if Jesus and the apostles treated this section as uh, authoritative and uh, scripture, then um, we are invited to do so as well. Uh, it's very important that we come to Scripture with this attitude that we are under Scripture because we are under God who has revealed himself to us and that we are therefore uh, uh, duty-bound to understand, to uh, receive what he says, to worship God in response and to do as he commands. So, and related to that, we also need to remember that 
the, the purpose of all of Scripture is, of course, primarily to reveal God to us. And you can see that even in this chapter by the simple fact that it is God who is doing all the doing. That it is God who is acting. That his actions and his being are being described here. So it's not, what we're finding here is not simply a description of the phenomena of the process of creation, but a description of the God who brings about creation. And God is very much at the centre of what is being revealed to us here. And so as readers, as we come to this chapter, we're not coming here, I hope, with the primary purpose of finding out about creation and where it came from and everything, but the primary purpose is that we find out about God and offer the appropriate response to God, which is one of worship, that we praise him. Now the implication of what I'm saying here is, is to, to lay the grounds, as it were, to say that if we come to these verses as a modern scientist would come to these verses, who probably has excluded God from his or her thinking, then he or she is going to be disappointed because the focus is on God and not the science. That's not to say, of course, that this chapter is unscientific. But we need to understand the central focus and concern of Scripture is to reveal God to us, not to give us a scientific document to understand our creation. So we need to come to this chapter with an attitude of faith and trust. And if we do, we come to it, we will be richly rewarded as God reveals himself to us. So as we come to this chapter, let me divide our study into three parts this morning. Firstly, I want to consider more closely the God who has created. Then, secondly, I want us to walk through how God created, and that will raise all kinds of questions for us. And then thirdly, I want to think about the goodness of creation and the implications of it. So firstly, the God who created. And last week we began with that riveting statement in verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And we thought about how our thinking, uh, our thinking about our lives, uh, the universe and everything that is, needs to start with God in the beginning God. That's where we start in all things. And that God created this creation. He created something that is outside of himself. He is God the creator and everything else is creation. The uh, the created order. And it's very important we get that distinction clear in our minds. God is not creation. And we'll come, come to that more uh, towards the end. But he is, of course, the prime mover. He is the, the one first cause of all things, from whom and from which all secondary causes follow. So that's what scientists do. They're, they're looking at the chain of causes and effects. 
they're measuring, they're observing, they're seeing and uh, recording and formulating theories, but they're really uh, pursuing the the secondary causes uh, that are existing in the universe that God has made as the first mover. And so we, we need to come to this with an attitude of faith that this is how God has worked. So this is what Hebrews 11 verse 3 says. Uh, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what was seen was not made out of what was visible. We come with faith. We start with God. We trust God that this is where creation has come from. So when someone, and so when someone becomes a Christian... The, one of the building blocks of that living faith is, I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. I believe God has made everything. And as, you, as we'll see, that shapes everything that then follows. And I want to expand just a little now on what, where we left off last week. Because what we see here in this act of creation is the triune nature of God. And I mentioned this last week. But, of course, we begin with God. Uh, God who creates the heavens and the earth in verse 1. And then in verse 2, we see the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters, over the face of the deep. And this word hovering, it's, uh, it's a, ver- a verb that comes up elsewhere in the Old Testament. Uh, one particular example is Deuteronomy 32.11, where God is, is likened to, and let me quote, an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. So here's, here's the Spirit of God hovering, as it were, like an eagle, over this new chaotic creation that's just been formed. The formless and void creation. And the Holy Spirit breathes life and brings order out of this formless creation. And in fact, Psalm 104, which we sang part of this morning, verse 30, it says this. And this is, this is the ongoing work of the Spirit in creation. He says, when you send your Spirit, they are created. Speaking of creatures, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. You see, the Holy Spirit is in the business of bringing life and bringing life into being and renewing the face of the ground. Bringing order out of chaos. And you see this beautifying, vivifying power of the Spirit of God in creation. And then you see something else after the Spirit of God is mentioned. You see the Word of God. And God creates, how does God create things? Well, He creates things by speaking them into being. And of course, that's what the the Apostle John picks up in his Gospel, at the beginning of his Gospel, John chapter 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word. See, it mirrors Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him were all things made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. And then he goes on to say in verse 14, That Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, of course, John is speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ. The incarnate Son of God. But that Son of God was the very Word of God at the beginning of all creation. 
and he was active. Nothing was made that nothing that has been made was made without him. Now why does that matter to us today? Are we just doing some obscure theological reflection about something that really doesn't matter anymore? Well, of course not. And here's why. It matters a great deal to us because the God who created the universe in all his majesty and power is also the God who is recreating the heavens and the earth and bringing to life bringing life to his new creation through the gospel of Jesus Christ and and the power of the holy spirit that is what's happening in christians today the very power that went into creating the universe at the very beginning is also now at work in the new creatures that are being formed, in the new birth that is being formed in the heart of every new believer, as the first fruits, as the first instances and indications of this new heavens and this new earth that is coming. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, uh, Paul speaks about the power of God built into his own ministry of preaching. And he says this, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see what he's doing there? Paul is drawing on those words from creation. Let light shine out of darkness. He takes those creation words and he says, This is what's happening to you, brothers and sisters. This is what's happening to you. And he's applying it to the gospel ministry that he is privileged to be called to. Christ Jesus, you see, comes to an individual and the Holy Spirit, as it were, broods over the heart into which Christ Jesus has come. And he gives and he breathes life, bringing order and life to that new believer. So do you see God, if God has worked powerfully in creation, don't you get a sense of the greatness of the new creation? Or we can be deceived by what we see in our eyes, but if we look with the eyes of faith, we can see the great things that God is doing through the church of Jesus Christ and the proclamation of the gospel. And it's of a scale, indeed a greater scale, of a cosmic scale, greater than the creation itself. Well, let's move on. Secondly, how did God create? And uh, here we're going to work through the, uh, the steps. And uh, you'll notice that uh, the simple answer to that question, how did God create? Well, the, the answer is by his word. Uh, you'll notice that regularly, frequently, all the way through this chapter, um, Moses writes down, and God said, verse 3, and God said, verse 6, and God said, verse 9, and God said, and all the way through the chapter, and God said. So he goes on, and time after time, uh, after God has said, Moses also says, and it was so, and it was so. And we get the sense that for God, it's effortless to create the universe. But it's worth just dwelling on this a little longer, I think, as we reflect on our own words and our own speaking. Because as we speak, you know, our words are easy, aren't they? They, they come off the mouth. Uh, my, my words are coming off the mouth and traveling through the air uh, in the vibrations of the molecules. And, and they're hitting your eardrums. And then suddenly it's gone. 
and it affects nothing unless, of course, you take that word and go and do something with it. But my words don't do anything. I could, I could command this, that cone to rise off the ground and nothing will happen. Because <laughs> my words are thin and weak. But with God, His words are rich and full and they achieve everything that He intends by them. And it goes infinitely far beyond our words. And when God speaks, things happen. And they happen in exactly the way that he intends them to happen. There's no hit or miss. There's no maybe or maybe not with God. When he speaks, he does. And it is true. It is so. And it's worth thinking about the continuing power of the Word of God even today. And I'm not just talking about the power of God in the Gospel, that is true, but the power of God in the ordinary phenomena of the universe. If I turn to Psalm 147, you might like to turn with me, uh, verse 15, uh, the psalmist says this, Uh, He sends out his commands to the earth. His word runs swiftly. And then what happens? He gives snow like wool. He scatters hoarfrost like ashes. He hurls down crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his, his, his wind blow and the waters flow. Now do you see the connection that's being made there between God's word... And the weather. Now it's worth thinking about this. God's words and the weather. An expression, a way of seeing God at work is simply looking at the ordinary phenomena of the universe. That's, uh, That's so important. God has made a universe full of regularity. There are many things that happen in the same way, no matter where you are, or uh, what you're, uh, uh, where you are, or, or when you are. Uh, the, the laws of physics and the laws of science all seem to, to be consistent, uh, all wherever you are and whenever you are. And there is a scriptural reason for that. That it's God's universe, and God is a God of order, and he can be relied upon. And that is reflected in the universe that he has made. Orderly, repeatable, understandable phenomena that we can observe. I know there's a lot that's not understood, of course, but there's much that we can understand and rely upon. And so in a sense we can say, as Christians, there are no abstract laws of physics. Now why do I say that? Because the laws of physics simply codify what it is that God does every moment of every day. This is God at work in the ordinary things of life. God runs the universe. God controls the universe. Scientists get in a fankel about... That's a Scottish word, fankel. (laughs) Scientists get into, into a fankel about 
you know, where are these laws that seem to emerge? You know, and you read Stephen Hawking in his uh, brief history of time, and the, about the last third of the book is taken up with his, his vague notion of God, because he has to introduce something to, to kind of make sense of where the laws are and how they exist. You know, it doesn't mean he believes in God, it just means he's, he's got a bucket that he wants to put this idea of law into. Well, as Christians, we have no problem with that. This is how God runs the universe. Because he's orderly, uh, he's an orderly God. That's why Johannes Kepler, uh, the great astronomer, 17th century astronomer and mathematician, who discovered the laws of planetary motion, uh, said that he was thinking God's thoughts after him. Yeah, he could write the law down, but really what he's doing is thinking God's thoughts after him. Well, how did God go about creating? Well, there was an initial stage. The heavens and the earth were brought into being, but it was formless and void. And remember, these are, uh, he's not using scientific words here. These are words, this, these words form, without form and void. They're the kind of words that you use to describe a, an arid desert. And uh, Moses is using those words that people will understand. You know, it's formless. There are no features in what God first created. It's empty. There's nothing of notice. If you ever go to a desert, and uh, uh, you may you may think, well, there's just nothing here, and it's formless. It's empty. I mean, there's stuff there, but I mean, you think there's nothing there, and and this is the kind of uh, message that's been communicated here. That in the initial creation, the initial stage is that it's formless and void. But out of that order begins to appear and then you get this description of the next six days and then a final day of rest now the six days come in two groups uh, you may have noticed the two groups there's the first three days and then the second three days and you can you can pair them up so the first day and the fourth day concern light so in the first day, light is created. But interestingly, not yet light, the light of the sun, but a different kind of light that God creates. And interestingly, I think it mirrors something that comes right at the very end of the Bible. You know, when the new heavens and the new earth has come, and Revelation 22 verse 5 says this, And night will be no more, they will have no, no need of light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. I think there's something of that going on here. This is God uh, himself being the light of this new creation. But then in the fourth day, you have the sources of light created uh, to separate night and day. The sun and the moon... Uh, and by the way, the stars, or just, you think what we know about the stars and the galaxies that we can see, we think, what an amazing throwaway line, and the stars. <laughs> it's remarkable, isn't it? And then we have the second and the fifth day, and these concern the waters and the sky. So the second day uh, separates the sky from the expanse of the water. And then on the fifth day, those environments, if you like, are populated with creatures, swarming creatures in the water and birds in the air. And then in the third and sixth days, uh, are, is, is telling us about the land. And uh, on the third day, the land masses appear out of the water and vegetation is caused to grow out of the earth. But then on the sixth day, 
creatures are uh, fil- uh, created and populate this land. Uh, land-based creatures of every kind, wild animals, livestock of every kind, and to crown it all, mankind. Uh, who is uh, alone of all the creatures made in the image of God. Now we'll come back to that next week, uh, the creation of man. But here we have these two groups of, of days. They seem to be reverberating again. Is that, is that better? <laughs> um, we have these two groups of days. The first three could be uh, described as uh, formation, uh, forming uh, the environments, and then the second three can be described as filling, uh, filling and populating. Now, as we describe that, those six days, you may have some burning questions about these days and the method of creation that's described here. And the question that everybody wants to know is, are these days of creation six literal 24-hour days as we understand them today? And the first thing to say about this is, of course, if God is God, separate from creation, then there is no doubt that God can create in six days, in 24-hour days. And it's beyond question that he can do this. It is, uh, he is infinite in his power and his majesty. But the question is, did he do it this way? And is this what Moses is describing? Now, can I just point out a couple of problems with saying so? And then I'll tell you my conclusion at the end. You're probably wondering what to do with me. But anyway, here's a couple of problems. Uh, one is, of course, that the, the days that are used to describe the stages of creation, uh, are, 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 the, the term days is used before. The notion of what a day is has yet actually been defined. That doesn't come till day four with the creation of the sun and the moon. And then the other problem, I think, potential problem here is the notion of a seventh day, which the book of, the New Testament book of Hebrews takes up and equates to God's eternal rest to which Christians are heading. In other words, there is a, a, there remains a day of rest to which we are heading, which seems to suggest that it's we shouldn't necessarily take it as a 24-hour day. Now, having said that, Moses does not seem to have a problem with using the term day as he understands it. Indeed, when he comes to giving the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, and he speaks about the ordering of the seven-day week, uh, he's he's thinking about seven 24-hour days, and he speaks of one of those days as God's day of rest for us. And there's no indication that he's simply using metaphorical language to describe creation. He is simply saying, God rested on the seventh day. So are they six 24-hour days in Genesis chapter 1? Here's my answer. Probably. Probably. As one man who's training for the ministry and preparing for the ministry came to our presbytery and said, I'm 90% certain that it's six 24-hour days. Uh, you may want to sack me now, so uh, I'll receive your petitions later. <laughs> but I, I don't have a problem saying six 24-hour days, of course not. But I, I recognize that there are some difficulties with it. The other question that people ask is, 
What about the theory of evolution? And, of course, it's an understandable question, because if we've gone through the secular system of education, then we are steeped in it, and it's everywhere in our culture. It's the, it's the air we breathe, it's the water we swim in. Um, and so this account may seem absolutely alien to us. But I need to just challenge you here and say... We as Christians, we need to begin our thinking with God and work from there to understand creation. Not begin with creation and see if we can find God. And so what we need to say at this point is that given the pre- that presupposition about the origin of the universe, we cannot accept that the universe comes about by a random mechanism involving only second causes. In other words, processes that are only found within creation. That would go against the whole of Scripture. That God intervenes. That God has acted. That God has spoken. And it was so. To do so, to, de- to believe in a random mechanism is to deny God's agency at least, if not to deny God completely, and to deny Scripture. And so I can say, and I say with absolute confidence, nobody can claim to be a Christian and deny that God created the heavens and the earth. And he did so in six days. That's not to say, of course, that certain evolutionary processes are not at work within nature. There's plenty of evidence that there can be variations and developments. When environments change, or there are mutations, uh, then living beings can change. A case in point at the moment is, of course, viruses that undergo mutations and changes, adapting to different environments. Human beings make use of this selective process in the selective breeding of animals to develop certain characteristics. So there's no reason to believe that such things can't happen in nature itself. But in all of this, we must not deny Scripture or the God of Scripture. And then I think, beyond these questions, I think we need to rest. I've never believed that Christians need to have a PhD in science to be able to refute scientists often with their rash claims. We simply need to be Christians who come humbly to God's word and trust in him in all that it says, always confessing our sins and recognizing that we are creatures who do not have access to all the answers to the questions that we can ask. Well, as we finish... Let me just recognize finally the goodness of creation. God saw that it was good. And at the very end, after creating man, he said, and God saw that everything, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There are two opposite tendencies that we may be tempted to fall into that we need to avoid. The first is that we do not worship creation. And I have to say, some Christians do slip into this. We have all heard of people, on, on, perhaps on the television, or maybe we've met people who think that all they can think about is the planet that we live on. 
And what becomes care for the environment slips into the worship of creation because they have failed to recognize the distinction between the creator and the creation. Some people begin to see these two things as the same thing so that they might begin to say things like when they go out into the hills or into a forest or out for a nice walk in the uh, in the park or something like that. They're worshipping gods because they're out amongst nature. Well, that's just a form of idolatry that we need to be careful to avoid. We do not worship creation. But the other attitude that we need to avoid is not to despise creation and the examination and the exploration of it. In fact, when somebody becomes a Christian and experiences the new creation, he should begin to see all God's works in a new way and take delight in what he or she sees. But at the same time, direct his praise to God for all the ways that God displays his attributes in all that he has made. It means that Christians have a high regard for the exploration and the study of creation. Psalm 111 verse 2, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. It's one of the great impetuses for Christians to be involved in science and technology and to be leaders in thinking through the implications of what they see and all the time resting upon the God who has revealed himself in Holy Scripture. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your wonderful acts of creation. Thank you for what it reveals to us of who you are that you are our great God and you are doing great work in us even now in the new creation. We pray that you'd help us to worship you more and more faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen.